the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. It's been an awful year for cryptos. The latest scandal being the collapse of the FTX exchange with some 1 million customers wondering whether they will get any of their investment funds back. There's now talk of proof of reserve orders becoming the baseline reporting standard for crypto companies. But as we are about to find out, there's proof of reserve and there's, well, something a little more sinister. Reports are emerging that FTX mixed customer wallets with those of a sister company called Alameda Research for the benefit of auditors. A former employee by the name of Young Dot has claimed that FTX altered computer entries to effectively obscure holes in the balance sheet. It's also been alleged that assets were moved from one company to another just in time for the audit and then moved back again, which of course is fraud. So, are proof of reserves the savior of crypto or is this just a beginning? How do we hold crypto exchanges to account and verify that our assets haven't been on lent without permission, as FTX is accused of doing? Well, joining us is Dale Russell, director of Moore Blockchain and Digital Assets in Johannesburg. Hi, Dale. It's good to have you on the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast. Just explain for the listeners, what is a proof of reserves audit? And though this is as yet unproven, how FTX, the exchange, might have fooled the proof of reserves auditors. Hi, Karen. Thanks for having me. So I think the first place to start is, is what a proof of reserves is not, and that has been mistaken for a proof of solvency. So a proof of reserves is essentially a tool given to digital asset platforms to ensure that they can adequately prove that they have enough assets in reserve for customer liabilities. So if we are to think about this in a more like contextual manner, it essentially is a asset liability matching procedure that is used. It is a cryptographic tool used in the process of an audit. It is not an audit itself. So I think the main component of this is to take out is, is that it is a tool or a piece of the puzzle in, in the audit of a custodian or a, an exchange. It is not the be-all and end-all. It's not the magic bullet that's going to save or prevent everything from happening. I think this needs to be used in conjunction with other audit procedures, so your normal financial statement audits, and it needs to be supplemented with good internal controls in a company, and it can be used as a enhancement tool for, for trust for customers and, and transparency. So essentially what a platform does is it proves its customers assets are in excess of what its liabilities are on chain using cryptographic tools well I said more using uh, something called a Merkle tree verifier okay you probably better explain <laughs> what a Merkle tree is what is that so essentially, it's, it's a way of organizing data yes, is it not? yeah exactly that so essentially how they do it is they sum up into a single uh, hash so we keep customer privacy which is quite a big topic in the space. So you essentially, as a, as a user, can go onto this dashboard and put in and ensure that using your ID that your assets have been included in the sum of the assets and liabilities that have been matched. So essentially, you can test that it has been included in the aggregated amount that has been tested to prove that they have enough assets for the full liabilities that they have disclosed. This does come with an inherent problems. Timing is a big issue, and this is what FTX has, has seen. 
or the accused behavior of FTX is moving funds between companies at convenient timing to to meet these collateralization ratios. I think we're going to chat about it a bit further later on, and we'll go into the the intricacies of how or the way forward around these timing manipulations. As it's not a new concept in in this space. You probably read the the press reports, as I have, that FTX was altering figures in the back end of its computer system to fool the auditors when they were around. And also that cryptos were being transferred from one company to to another, you mentioned that, to fatten the balance sheet at audit time, and then transferred back again when the auditors left. I mean, this is just astonishing stuff. The other thing, of course, that is coming out, you know, the FTX, who were the people accounting for them? Because... It appears their financial statements were done on Excel spreadsheets. They had nothing, no sophisticated systems there. People are really starting to look at the crypto space very, very skeptically. Uh, for example, you know, we're reading reports this week about Tether, which is the largest stable coin in the market. I mean, they have a proof of reserves ordered once every quarter. I don't know if this is going is gonna to cut it, if this is sufficient. Anyway, so talk about that. The, this altering of figures, uh, is that possible? in the space. So I think that alludes to to my point earlier is that proof of reserves is a tool or a piece in the puzzle and it's not going to solve everything. It provides reasonable assurance and I think as more industry players come to the market and it's done at a more frequent basis, then you start to establish an audit trail. You start to have a red flag if, if one of the participants don't want to actively partake in, in these proof of reserves. So it becomes a deterrent tool. And I think the movement of funds and the timing, as as you have spoken about, is it's not a new concept. I think, you know, the old story about the auditors sitting in the coffee room at the silos and when they go for a coffee break, the one silo is being moving grain into another silo. So so this this is not something that's new and, and native to crypto and blockchain companies. However, we need to start establishing best practices for specific crypto and blockchain companies to begin to self-regulate until the regulator steps in. So I think that, for example, and this is not the answer, but if a an exchange has to do a proof of reserves every quarter, maybe the liability of when or where and as that happens must be in the hands of the third party providing that tool. So in that quarter, they know they're going to have that proof of reserves, but when it happens in that quarter is up to the independent firm who's performing this. That could be one mechanism to do it. I do believe it's a step in the right direction, but it must not be taken as a replacement for good internal controls and risk processes that need to happen at the company level, regardless of what a third party can prove on their behalf in in the form of a proof of reserves platform. I mean, if you look at the way that financial services firms operate, they, they, they've been through this. This is decades of experience and learning that have been applied. You would have a, an administrator who, who is, is doing this sort of more or less real-time audit of the financial statements. So you get a statement at the end of the month. It's not sent to you by the fund manager. It's sent by the administrator. An independent third party is telling you that the stocks that you think you own are actually there. And surely this is a best practice that could be applied in the crypto space, and we're probably going to be moving in that direction, I would imagine, with some speed right now. I think to bring back customer confidence to the market, there is going to need 
there is a need for people to to arrive with best practice and and what shape or form that takes we, we're not certain as yet but if you think about their traditional markets and if you go to a fund of funds for instance and you put in your money at a a company that allocates these funds into sub funds the only reason we have comfort over our full balance even if it's not hold that that company is the fact that each of those companies follow and abide to a financial statement audit. So the principle remains the same with a crypto company. We need to make sure that all crypto platforms are following a set of best industry practices and everyone is abiding to the same law. So in that way, we know that if you are aggregating along different platforms, we know that everyone is sticking to the same set of guidance principles that are not yet established in our market. But in recent light, we need to start self-regulating to ensure that we bring that that customer confidence back. Okay, you talk about self-regulating. Uh, I mean, th- there are these sort of loose affiliations of crypto companies that have come together and they're talking about regulations, what shape those regulations should be. I think they've been advising the FSCA and the various other regulators in the market. But do you think that we've recently had this announcement the FSCA is is going to consider, not that it's going to consider, they are in fact, uh, if you're a crypto company, you're going to be considered a financial services provider, you're going to have to be licensed. But is that sufficient? We're talking about something which is a little bit a step removed from that. It's like, how do you verify that you know the company that you're dealing with actually has your crypto? Yeah, so I think the regulation that's recently been made, again, is not the final solution, but it's a step in the right direction. So the fact that the FSCA has come out to say we are recognizing this as a financial product is a good step for the market in general. Although it's going to take a while with its own nuances, there's going to be hurdles that need to be overcome through the licensing and and how they, they shape that going forward. But I think the action to commit to regulating it is a positive step. I can't predict how or or which way that that it's going to go. But I think, again, people coming together on this proof of reserves platform is is just, I think it's a sign of, of participants becoming increasingly frustrated with bad actors. Because amongst this market, there's a huge push with good participants that really want to unlock the real value of this technology and this market. And it feels as if when those actors take one or two steps forward, we get a blow up like FTX, which sets us 10 steps back. So I think that's where the grouping of of people coming together and saying, look, we know that proof of reserves is not the only solution, but it is a step in the right direction to holding people accountable. And yes, it's subject to flaws. And any process is subject to flaws, audits. Uh, I mean, Bernie Madoff, it's being compared to to that event. And I think we'll learn as we go along. But if we don't take action and start putting these processes in place, we're going to see less consumer confidence in the market. And I think that's going to take a bigger knock than us trying to go in the right sort of direction to bring bring about some user confidence and, and start to put a stamp of approval on, on this market. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the, the financial press over the last week, uh, they've almost been dancing on the grave of crypto. You know, this is the, the final pin in the in the bubble, if you like, for the entirety of crypto. And of course, what happened with FTX has pulled the market down tremendously. And, and we don't even know if, if this is the bottom, because there is a contagion effect, which I think has got to 
bleed out of the market over the next few weeks or, or, or months. I mean, if you look at FTX itself, it seems to have run into trouble around about the time that Terra Luna collapsed earlier this year. So it had exposure to that collapse scheme. And that is where the holes in its own balance sheet started to appear. And per the reports that are coming out, that they were draining funds, customer funds from the FTX exchange into Alameda, the sister company, to plug various holes that they had there. Do you think this is a, a mortal wound for the crypto industry's credibility? And if so, how can it recover from this? So, in my opinion, crypto has been dead many times in, in the eyes of many. I don't believe this is mortal at all. Uh, it certainly is a massive setback. But I think it is also a realization for participants at this point in time to highlight the need for, for increased transparency, increased trust, and ultimately if we don't bring these types of assurance procedures in place, we're going to lose the customer confidence, right? So I think, yes, we want to flush out all bad actors and that may take us down. I mean, I don't predict price, but it may be a huge knock on top of what we've already seen before. And hopefully it's the final realization that, you know, the market is, is now tired of these actors and, Hopefully, we see procedures and protocols being built during this crypto winter to to actually serve the market in a better way going forward for the long run. So, no, I do not believe it's mortal, but in order for us to realize the absolute value proposition that it poses, we need to think about and restructure the way things are done in the market currently. I introduced you as a director at Moore Blockchain and, and Digital Assets. Tell us about that. You're, you're a chartered accountant and you're a director at Moore Blockchain and Digital Assets. Uh, what, what does the company do and what is your role in that? Sure. So Moore is a professional services firm and they provide accounting, assurance, advisory, uh, legal type services across your traditional markets. And essentially what Moore Blockchain and Digital Assets is, we've brought niche tools capabilities, knowledge, and technology to service an underserviced market in the form of any blockchain and crypto company. Whether you're crypto vested or, or you know, crypto curious, we help assist across the assurance leg being the proof of reserves that we've spoken about now. We do the due diligence process. We assist people in doing due diligence on the advisory side. We help with capital raising as well as legal and compliance type services. So if you need help in the tax or licensing or regulatory world, we have built a layer to to provide all your industries or all your services that you would provide to your traditional industry just tailored with technology and innovative solutions to be tailored towards a blockchain and, and digital assets company. So beyond your studying, you know, the chartered accounting, did you study blockchain? So I have. I've done a course through through UCT. I actually got into the blockchain space six years ago and I have authored courses for CPD as well um, so I have been in the space for CPD being a continuous professional development correct right? uh, so I've always been interested in in the space and I have been involved alongside finishing my my chartered accountancy and I have done a, a course through UCT but I haven't studied any further as yet 
I'm curious to hear from you because you've got the the audit experience, you've you've had the training, you're a chartered accountant, and you're a blockchain specialist. So you've probably seen some wild things in the crypto space. Tell me what shocked you the most. So they speak about it as the Wild West, right? I think the most shocking thing I've seen on scale would be this FTX crash. Uh, also, you know, it, it, it baffles me that we've got digital exchanges that have the conversation about being able to fractionalize. They're not banks. So the fact that these... Just explain what you mean by fractionalize. In essence, if a customer comes on and buys a Bitcoin on the exchange, they should be holding that that Bitcoin one-to-one. There's no right for them outside of being a facilitator to exchange to be able to take those funds and lend them out and only keep a Behave fraction. like a bank in other words. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Fractional they're not, reserve. They're not a bank. So okay. th- I think this has been one of the most shocking events and the abuse of that power and completely fooling the, the end customer has been quite detrimental. I guess also the, you know, the, the fact that they created their own token, the FTT token, which was at one time earlier this year valued at $80 is now down to about one. People are beginning to question, you know, what, what is the inherent value in this? You know, is, is, people are claiming that because it's got uh, so many users, this thing w- would have some inherent value. But, you know, we've seen that with Terra Luna and we've seen that now with FTT. These things are just bubbles. They're just ready to be exploded if there is not some solid underpinning. True. So I think there is always that contentious issue about what happens or what is the underlying value to any investment, right? So I think you need to take a step back as as someone who's looking at it from the outside to say, look, well, if I'd done my due diligence process around this as I would with any other investment, have I gone and done my due diligence process and my risk management to assess what underpins this, right? So have you gone and looked at their white papers? Have you gone and seen if there is actually any value in this before blindly going in and assuming that you're going to get your 100x return just because it is a crypto market? So I think, again, the principle remains true is that all your pre-investment stage or all your due diligence processes need to be in place to pick these types of things up. And although people say it is quite tough to to not see this coming, but if people have done their due diligence and, and performed these thorough processes, you would be able to say or see that maybe there isn't something right there. And labeling those events, we need to, to be careful to not go and say that's the whole crypto market because there are other you know, tokens and and cryptos that do possess value, right? That are not inherently just a bubble. And we need to not paint it with the same brush. So I think it's just like a a stock over the internet bubble where you've got all these tech companies just blowing up everywhere, but your Googles, your Facebooks, they still survive. So I think people need to forget the jargon and the complicated terms that are used in, in this market and, and take a step back to apply normal principles in, in approaching this new asset class. We've had one exchange in South Africa by the name of Ice Cubed that collapsed. Uh, that was earlier this year, I think, or, or late last year. We also have a reputation, you know, as being a nursery for crypto scams because of Mirror Trading International. In your opinion, how does SA stack up against the rest of the world when it comes to 
crypto and the way that we you know enforce compliance with whatever financial regulations are in force at the moment so i think it is quite early to say from a enforcement side of of this new regulation we'll see that unfold i think over the next 18 months uh, south africa surprisingly in terms of innovation and, and adoption is stacked up quite well in the world and we have taken a step to regulate. Obviously, we normally are adopters. So in SA, we would normally see how it's done in the likes of the USA. But in this case, we've been quite proactive, I think. Um, yes, we, we may have had these collapses uh, in Ice Cubed and, and those that you referred to. But again, I think that these are happening not just in South Africa. And I wouldn't say that it's specifically South Africa, that's a nursery to it. Um, I think inherently we have any bad actors. The jurisdiction in South Africa has got some principle in place to try and avoid this, especially this year. And I think the community is quite strong. There are, there are quite a few associations that are working towards healthy regulation and seeing how everyone can contribute towards making a positive impact through regulation as opposed to regulating it out the market. Okay, I mean, we've mentioned here that regulations have arrived. They will be coming into force next year. If you're a crypto company, you're going to have to be licensed as a financial services provider. But we've also discussed that that really doesn't save you necessarily from the kind of alleged fraud that has been going on at FTX. What kind of questions should people be asking? They want to get into crypto for the first time. They're hearing all this terrible news all year long. What should they be asking, you know, if they're going to go and, you know, pick an exchange? What questions should they be asking? So I think, obviously, the, the licensing will make those industry participants subject to your financial statement audits. Uh, hopefully, we'll see a compulsory proof of reserves in some shape or form to these people. I think the way that your custody takes place, there's been a huge talk around self-custody. So storing your own crypto and don't trust anyone, verify. So, In other words, get it off the exchange exactly. into your own wallet. Um, so there has been quite a, a big push towards self-custody, self but in terms of those looking to, to transact on an exchange and use them as the custodian, I think your normal due diligence processes should be undertaken. You look at the, hopefully they've got audited financial statements, who the auditors are, how they're storing their crypto and what their processes are around custody and i think also a proof of reserves would be something that now would be required and just understanding that you need to follow your exact same risk protocols that you would in a traditional investment when approaching these types of customers also looking for help so i think a big thing is it is a complicated market or inherently complicated due to the the terminology and and all the bad press but there are specialists out there that are able to to assist you in in asking those right questions and i think rather seek help than try and do it alone especially if you're not well versed in in the space and it's quite tricky for somebody who knows nothing really about cryptos to to start investigating for example one of the things that that really is a risk in this space is counterparty risk fdx had exposure to all sorts of other companies 
um, Sequoia being one of them. They, they lent money to Sequoia. Sequoia then eventually wrote down, or I, I think it was Sequoia who lent money to FTX and then wrote that down to zero. So you have to know who is who are the counterparty risks. It's not just looking at the, the financial statements because there is such a contagion effect. And we've seen that throughout this year with Terra Luna and Celsius and Three Arrows Capital. And now, we, you know, we, with, with what we're seeing here uh, with FTX. This is something as an auditor, is it not that you would have to be looking at? Definitely. So, as I said earlier, the audit process remains the same. So, you would need to be looking at stuff like off-balance off sheet items, uh, significant customer relations or significant supply relations, and also intercompany or uh, interrelated parties. So I think those steps come in through an audit process that sits outside of your proof of reserves, where proof of reserves would be able to prove your customer assets exceed your liabilities on chain. But you may have a off-balance sheet liability that's not seen through that process right so the audit needs to encompass a proof of solvency where as i said earlier proof of reserves is not a proof of solvency because there could be other line items or other risk factors that are not captured within uh, the the proof of reserves process that need to be assessed by an auditor or a, a third party to ensure that you pick up on anything that is qualitative over being quantitative only and mm. i think that's where the licensing will become important because these licensed actors now need to be subject to these financial statement audits and all these processes that that comes with having an fsp license so i think there needs to be a holistic view and not merely just a proof of reserves but an increase in in reporting and accountability across the whole company as opposed to just proving uh, proof of reserves every quarter. All right. And with the customers that you're dealing with, are they receptive to this demand, which is surely going to come and it's going to come very, very aggressively, I think, for more transparency. Open up your books. Let's see what you've got. And what, what are you holding, in fact, in assets? Are you holding these house tokens, these, these currencies like FTT, which can go from 80 to 1%? Or, you know, have you got dollar stable coins or rand stable coins? You know, is, is this, are they going to be receptive to this? So I think in order to have not suffer a reputational risk, I think that these these parties will come in to, to accept that this is the way that the market is going. And in order to increase the adoption and drive to unlock the value, I think these are necessary steps that they're going to have to take to prove that they are not the FT of South Africa, right? So, as I said earlier, if you've got these best practices established and you've got an outlier of an exchange that's not willing to participate, already that's going to create a red flag to the end user, right? So, I think that although there might be an initial pushback or a, or a questioning as to why, it's going to become more mandatory than voluntary. And, and those who don't participate probably suffer more than, than those who do. Of course, one of the things we've seen over the last uh, couple of weeks is a massive migration to decentralized exchanges. Now, we, we've been FTX is a centralized exchange. In other words, it's got a, a, a small group of people that control it. In a decentralized exchange like decentralized finance, you don't have that. So there is no counterparty risk. You know, I can sell to you. We're only using that exchange as a platform 
for making a transaction. That uh, you can never have my crypto go being used to on-lend to somebody else. That's just not possible. I think that's one of the consequences we're going to see. People are already sort of de-risking in all sorts of interesting ways, like I've just mentioned. So I, I think you are correct. There will and has been an increase in, in participation along decentralized exchanges. But I don't think that eradicates the fact that there will always be centralized exchanges around. So whilst they still are around, we need to make sure that we're building the right infrastructure around these centralized exchanges for those who are still participating in centralized exchanges to have or to help uh, risk mitigate for you know counterparty risk or bad actor risk in conjunction with having the decentralized exchange market. Um, so yes, it may drive users away from centralized exchanges to decentralize, but while they are still in the market and participating, or while they still exist, and I don't see them you know, going anywhere in the short-term future, is that we need to build processes around these exchanges to assist in making it a more friendly manner to participate for users. All right, Dale Russell, Director at Moore Blockchain and Digital Assets, thanks for joining us. And I think it's pretty safe to say that you're going to be very busy in the kind of services that you provide going forward because of what we've been discussing today. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks for having me. Yeah, hopefully we do see a positive reception to, to what we're doing. And we are here to help and assist our, our customers sort of navigate through this change. So it's been awesome being on, on today's show and I appreciate you having me. for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.